Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And then we go to chapter 16, verse 5. We'll be reading verses 5 through 17. Chapter 16 of John, verse 5. But now I go my way to him that sent me. And none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us, A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, and ye shall see me, and because I go to the Father. Thus far, in the reading of God's holy and precious word, and we respond. Dear congregation, I'm sure all of you are aware of how this past week our children have been blessed with Vacation Bible School. And in the five days of the week, they had the five parables, five of the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one thing that struck me as we went from day to day and looking at the parables was not only the sequence that they were so wisely put together, but also the message that is so harmonious. And today's message, in many ways, is answering the question, how can these things be so? How can this happen? How can my heart be the good soil from the parable of the sower? And the soils. How can I accept the invitation of the king and not be like those who had excuses for things that they thought were best? How can I have a heart that will realize that the invitation that Jesus gives to the greatest banquet, to heaven itself, cannot be denied? Because there are those who do. How can I not deny it? How can I repent and return like the prodigal? How, how can I be as one who stops in my tracks and acknowledge that to return to God is better and even to be His slave will be more bearable than to be feeding pigs and living in the world? Yes, seeking my pleasure, but it will end in death. 
How can I be like the prodigal son who returns and not be like the son who does not go to that banquet that the father prepares for that son? How can I be like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock? And it seems very clever to do that, but there is the foolish man who builds the house upon the sand. And we look at this world and we see people whose lives receive the winds and receives the waves, and their lives are destroyed. They, there are some who leave the faith. There are some who remain outside of the faith, and they will not come to the Lord Jesus. Their lives are being destroyed. They are in despair. They are under addictions and under powers and perils, and, and they are broken and devastated. Those are the people who built their house upon the sand. And there are those who are wise and build the house upon the rock. How can I be that man? How can I be wheat and not be a tear? Now, I know that as I say these key words, you, uh, fathers and mothers, young people, you know exactly what parables I'm speaking about. Jesus said that there was that field and there was the wheat, but then the enemy sowed the tares and both grew together. And that is to show in, in the church there are those who are saved, those who aren't. How can I be saved? How can I be kept from the danger of presumption to think I'm fine? I was born into the church. I've been 20 years a Christian. I professed my faith at 16, 17. I'm going to the Lord's Supper. All is well. But what if you're a tear and not wheat? How can these things be done? You notice every one of those parables are divided into two. There's the wise, there's the foolish. There's the wheat, there's the tare. There are those who accept the invitation of the king, those who don't. There's the good soil, all those other kinds of soil, they're all bad soil. Whether rocky or full of thorns, in many ways they're one of the same kind. And they exemplify, exemplify people who receive the word. You know, we're aware of this. There are people who stick around the church a little longer than some. Some come and leave. There might be people in the church and the preacher preaches and preaches and preacher, but you are sleeping in your heart and sometimes literally. And that is the soil where the bird comes and plucks the seed away. The devil loves it when you don't pay attention to the sermon. But then there's the good soil. So you've noticed, every one of those parables, there are two people. And what we hope to see today is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and His work is the answer to how you can be the wise man. How you can be wheat and not tares. It, it, it all lies upon the ministry, the work of of the Holy Spirit. You need Him. You depend upon Him. You are dead without Him. The Holy Spirit is, is the key that answers why, how all these things are possible. And, and we'll, we'll look first at how the Holy Spirit works. And then secondly, we'll see four works of the Holy Spirit. In a future sermon, we hope to see four more works. There, there are many works, and we will divide them four today and four another time. But let us look at how the Holy Spirit works, three ways in which He works in these two passages that we read. Now, before we look at the passages in John, I do want to start by looking at Acts. If you would like to open your Bibles and follow with me, you know that we have begun looking at Acts from chapter 1. And I had mentioned that a lot of these chapters that follow, chapter 2, 3, and 4, many of these we have had sermons very recently so I won't be going chapter by chapter, verse by verse these, but I do want to summarize them before we go to the newer chapters that we haven't covered in maybe ever in my ministry here or or very long time ago. But since we're speaking of the Holy Spirit, we read at the beginning the promises where Jesus was saying, the Spirit will come, the Spirit will come. And I want to read verses 1 through 4 of Acts 2 where that was fulfilled. 
So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. These are the believers, those 120 disciples who were assembled. They, they had chosen, remember, Matthias, and they were all together. There are now 12 apostles, the women and the other disciples. They're all huddled together in this one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is when the promise was fulfilled. The Spirit came. And how is it that the Holy Spirit works? So as soon as he came and manifested himself this way, he does, he began to do what Jesus promised that he would do. See, the Holy Spirit does not come and minister to you from a distance. He comes close. And he does not minister to you beside you. In many ways, that would be just majestic and amazing. Imagine to have the Holy Spirit right there beside you. That's in many ways how they had Jesus right there beside them. John could be at the bosom of Jesus, and that was wonderful. And we would do everything that we could be that close to the divine person of the Spirit. But beloved, this is what absolutely astonishing, it is mind-boggling, it is, we can only understand this and accept this by faith, but we can also understand it and accept it by experience. The first way by which the Holy Spirit ministers is indwelling us. He doesn't just come close. He doesn't just come beside. He comes inside. And beloved, there's something precious about this. We become the very tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. We become that holy of holies from the whole Old Testament. Remember, boys and girls, that no one could dare enter in. If a priest were to be too curious and open and gaze upon that Ark of the Covenant, he could die instantly. But... When Christ died on the cross, that veil tore in two, and it was showing that now God will be present right where we are and inside of where we are. He indwells us. He comes and lives inside the believer. And now, like I said, how how can we take this? How, How can we believe this? Well, first of all, by faith. Isn't it what Jesus said? If if we go now back to the chapters that we have read from John 14. This is exactly and precisely what Jesus said He would do. That the Comforter would come and He would abide with you forever. And then verse 20 it says, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Beloved, do we stop to consider and be astonished at what this means? That God, the triune God, through the person of the Spirit, makes His abiding place in the very body and soul of the believer. He is there, inside. And we believe because we see evidences. This is why I read in Acts 2. It wasn't that they were sitting down and somebody said, you know, I I feel now that Jesus came in the Spirit. No, the whole town, the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. This was a day where there were no ways to have special effects with the technology that we have today. And they were in a place where they started hearing what could have sounded like, like one of those whirlwinds that come and c- can take homes down. And they heard that big noise. And not only was it a noise, they saw a sight. They saw these, these little flames of fire, as it were, like tongues. And it came upon each and every one. And not only was there that evidence that was audible and invisible, but it was also experiential because they started speaking in different languages. 
And now, if you, if you have been around people who are international, and, and you, maybe you're in some kind of spiritual um, venue, and you wish so very much that you could speak to them something about Christ, but you don't know that language. And it, there's such a sense of unrest, such a sense of how limited it is, and I, I would do everything I could to speak your language. And they did this instantly. And, and this is what was so special about all of those events through several chapters. We, we find this being repeated again and again. Remember, Philip goes to Samaria. Later, many people there repent. Peter goes there to baptize them. And as he puts his hands upon the people, they receive the Holy Spirit. And those manifestations happen again. And, and God was doing this very visibly because he was giving a privilege for the church to realize this is tangible. This is real. Peter didn't know how to speak the Mesopotamian language, but all of a sudden he is. I, I, I don't know what language each one of them were speaking, but they were speaking. And people who were from all these different countries, they were seeing. It was like a, a multilingual event. Everyone had the translation they needed. It's, this is a miracle. And, and this is why we believe, because of the testimony of Scripture. And then, then Peter, remember, goes to Cornelius and, and he's still preaching the word. And while he's preaching the word, we, we read this. While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them all and them which heard the word. And again, it's not that, they, it's not that Cornelius' wife said, Honey, I feel that the Spirit is in me. Do you feel the same? No, th- th- there was no question. There was no wondering. They were all with the Holy Spirit inside of them as they heard the Word. And then the experience that I mean is that we see it in other people and then true believers see it in themselves. And because this is what continues, we, we, we look at this, the history of God's Word and then into history and there is nothing that can humanly speak, explain that men and women would have the strength to sing while they are being fed alive to the wild beasts. While they are hanging in Nero's gardens and being lit as torches. And the testimony is that they were entrusting their lives to the risen Savior. Some were singing Some would raise their hands. Some would even cry out to the people outside who were crying because they were dying and they would say, it is not that bad. What can explain that? The Spirit inside. What can explain the man or woman whose whose life is afflicted of a certain kind, like perhaps a disease that is incurable or a wayward child that is so heavy in the heart of that father or mother, a a serious impairment like blindness or, or paralysis. And instead of anger and discontentment and disdain, there is love and perseverance. Only the Holy Spirit can explain that. You know what we are able to produce? We, we, we need no teacher for this. We need no help. But all of us are able to be apathetic. Any one of us can become stoic. We can complain. We know how to do these things very well. We know how to be angry. We know how to be ungrateful. We know how to give up. We, we know how to have a pity party to wallow in it. We know how to be depressed and how to be scared. And that's what you would expect if there are wild beasts coming at you, if you're a missionary in a land for 27 years, you hear of missionaries for seven or more years and not one convert. Families who have struggles that are great. But instead of these things, they are a lot like Job, or like Job, who said, the Lord gave, the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Beloved, there's only one thing that can explain this otherworldly reality in the hearts of humans. It's the Holy Spirit inside. 
Not just giving strength from the outside, but inside. But, but now let me go to your very own experience. And, and beloved, here is, this is how you should take it. If you're a true believer, you'll know exactly what I mean. To, to different degrees in all of our experiences, they're all different how God works with His people. But there may be those here who have absolutely none of these experiences. And how should you take this? Well, let this be a warning that it's, it's, it could be. I don't, I don't want you to think that this means for sure the Holy Spirit's not inside. Because there are those who are true believers. And the Holy Spirit has not manifested Himself inside of you so powerfully yet that you feel this assurance. But let me, let me speak of what God's Word speaks. Let me speak of guilt. This is a universal experience of humanity. We saw this morning why. It's because every human has a conscience. Even, even the, the, the most um, steeped in sin murder who might be in some kind of prison for his whole entire life, for, for several life sentences, he has a conscience in there. And he knows he did wrong. Now, that conscience will be very calloused, very insensitive, covered with layers and layers and layers of excuses, but it's still there. And he still knows what guilt is. And the more tender your conscience is, the more informed from God's Word, because you read the Bible or you've heard sermons, that conscience will speak more powerfully to your heart and the guilt will be stronger. Now, one more thing we can't understand. The Spirit who indwells us, we read passages that says that He grieves when you, as a believer, sin. And, and there's a mystery there. I never know fully how to preach about this. It's impossible because the Holy Spirit is God. He's eternal. He's divine. And He is sad. That's what grieving means. He is sad inside of you. So that if you're a true believer and you have sinned, you have grieved, you have made God sad, and He is inside you, no, no, no wonder you're sad as well. And, and you have to be. How, how can He be grieving and you be celebrating? See, this is why the true believer, and this is what I meant. If you're a true believer, you know exactly what I mean by this. You, you have just committed a sin. You, you have either, either lied or you've committed some kind of evil in your mind or, or you have stolen in a certain way that you, you realize, I, I can't go on with this. I need to return it. The Holy Spirit is grieving and you begin to grieve. And it's a weight. It's a heaviness. It's a conscience that, that is dark that is heavy. And you know what this comes from. It comes from the reality that you're not walking the way the Holy Spirit would lead you. He is the Holy Spirit. And you have just committed some unholy thing. If the Spirit were to just leave you alone, it would be as if you're thinking, oh, this is okay. I, I, I just committed this lie, but I don't feel bad. Maybe it's okay to lie. But the Holy Spirit loves you, and He won't let you think that. So He will grieve, and He will make it heavy in your heart so that you realize this is not right. This is not correct. I, I need to ask forgiveness. I need to plead, and I need to ask, Lord, renew Thy Holy Spirit within me. Don't take Him away. See, that's what explains what David was saying. He was experiencing. His grief was so great because the Holy Spirit within him was grieving to the point where he says, Lord, do not remove Thy Holy Spirit from me. See, this is the experience of the believer. He's so sad. He feels so lonely. He feels that the Spirit that was close and was inside now is far and he has no more joy and he pleads with that. And then you find yourself praying in many ways, like, like David. This is why we sang from Psalm 51. Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Cast me not away from thy presence. Because you feel that. You feel that I've sinned. He's cast me away. Lord, do not cast me away from thy presence, nor take thy Holy Spirit from me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. And now think, this is, this is what's just so precious for the believer. As you have these words, as you are grieving, as your heart is heavy, beloved, if that is truly your experience, be full of joy. 
Because that is one great providential mark that the Holy Spirit is in you. And so that which makes you so sad is what should make you so happy. Because if you were not sad after you sinned, and if you really wanted to be calloused, if you really were saying, I don't even care. I don't want to go that direction. I want to live my own life. And don't start putting a guilt trip on me. And you keep going in that direction. Guess what will happen? The guilt will not stop. It will continue. People might blame you as the ones who are making them guilty because you're the loved one saying, please don't go that way. That is not the right way. You're, you're abandoning Christ. You're abandoning the church. But that person goes and goes like a bulldozer into sin. The fact they're not sad is what's sad. But beloved, if you're sad when you sin, ask Go even further. Say, Lord, I'm not sad enough. If I committed this sin and thou art thrice holy and thy spirit is in me and I actually dared think this evil thought while the spirit is inside of me, he knows like a movie this very scene that I put into my mind. Oh, Lord, I I, I dread the thought that the Holy Spirit saw what I saw and what I contemplated. So, Lord, I am not as repentant as I should be. Forgive me. Give me this heart of David's. I, I, I don't feel like I have this weight in my heart like David has in his. That's what a Christian can dare do. The world will say, stop that. You're just going into depression. And you're actually going to the route of deliverance because you're going to the one who will say, I love you. My son died for those sins. Don't, don't continue your weeping. It's all solved. You know, he'll be little children. Remember that father as you go back to the father because you were the prodigal son or daughter. What did that father do? He didn't wait in his home as if to say, okay, let's see if he knocks at the door. Let me hear what he says. Let me hear if he asks forgiveness for all the dots and tittle that he committed. No, that father ran to that son and he hugged him. That son couldn't even say the word, I'll be a slave. Before that son knew it, he had a new ring, he had new sandals, he had new clothes, and there was a big party for him. And so then after you pled in that way that you were so full of tears and so full of sorrow, you will hear from the Spirit. Come, look at the cross. Your sins are there. He will comfort you. See, He works inside of you and you know it you know it by faith in the word and then you'll know it by experience we see the experience of other Christians and it testifies to you you'll know the experience of your own heart and that's going to testify to you and, and, it, and it's kind of all wrapped up in Romans eight sixteen, where Paul says the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. See, in, in, in some experiential and precious, spiritual, mythical way, this is all in the realm of spiritual. The spirit will tell you, you're, you're mine. That's why you have that heavy heart. I'm grieving. I'm going to make you grieve too. It's as if those things are happening. He works inside of you. But another way that he works, and very, very briefly here, he, as he's working, he's always manifesting unto you the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit does a work very similar to the Lord Jesus. You find the Lord Jesus saying, I'm not here to preach my words. It's what the Father gives me, I will tell you. And then Jesus says, this is how the Spirit, He's not here to speak of His own. He speaks what I and the Father have given Him to speak. It is just astonishing, beloved, this reality. I'm coming with a word. It is the humility of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a humble, divine being. He doesn't have His agenda. It is the Father's and the Son's. And yet, of course, it's His. Because He would never do anything that's apart from the Father and the Son's will. 
And what is his agenda? To reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to you. That's why I said, as you are there with that weightiness and with that grief, the Holy Spirit will point you to Christ. And you will be like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress where that sight of Christ will cause that burden to fall down and roll away. That's how the Spirit works. And then one more way, the third way that the Spirit works is that He ministers. It's, it's, it's a wrapping the reality of being in you and revealing Jesus to you. And you saw what Jesus said, I will be in you. So, so in a summary, the believer is never alone. This is how He ministers to the Christian, whereby the Christian is never lonely You are never alone in this world. That's why Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans or comfortless. And beloved, this this is just such a precious truth, isn't it? To hear and certainly to preach. This world has many lonely people. Maybe you have read the articles. There's, There's in some countries, like in Japan, there's like a crisis of loneliness. A lot of elderly people, not many young people to take care of them, to visit them. That's where they're having the robots to even be ministering to to the old people. Can you imagine? Is that a way of loving, putting a, a robot to speak to an elderly person? Because that's the only friend that they can have. Loneliness. And Japan is a country that is Christless. Churches that have been planted there, they've labored and labored and labored. It's very hard to minister in Japan. But every single Christian is never lonely. How could you be? You have the Spirit within. And Christ says that He and the Father will dwell in you. So, this is what I mean by how the Holy Spirit works. Now, let's go to our second point where we'll see four ways of the works of the Holy Spirit. So now these are the works themselves. And and they'll be all connected to what we have seen because it's how He works. But let's single them out Um, Four of them are in these two texts of chapter 14 of John and John 16. We'll go to those two passages. The first one will start as they occur in the text from John 14, verse 15. Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter. He will give us another comforter. In 16, verse 7, He repeats that title of the Holy Spirit. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you, that's 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but I will depart and I will send him unto you, the Comforter. And he says, the Spirit is the Comforter. Let's look at that that title of the Holy Spirit. This is one of the ways that he works. And and it seems to be the the primary way where everything else works itself with this reality. The the word comforter is the King James rendition of a Greek word that perhaps you have heard because often this word is brought forth, sometimes even transliterated into English, parakletos, and it's transliterated into paraklete. Almost with an intention, theologians seem to be wanting to put that word into the vocabulary, just like baptism is really the transliteration of baptismos in Greek. Instead of just speaking of washing or cleansing, they just used the very word in Greek, and it became an American word. So if we were to Americanize the Greek word here, it would be paraclete. Paraclete. The, the last part, kaleo, means to call. And para, the first part, means alongside. And so it means someone who is called alongside you. And that, of course, already implies to help you. And, and the whole context of the word paraclete comes from the ancient ways of a trial. If, if you were called to go to a trial, it wouldn't be like in, like in the Western way where, where you need a professional lawyer and often that's not your friend, it's someone you pay. And, and he needs to have eloquence, he needs to have a lot of knowledge, he needs to have a way with words. The paraclete 
really had nothing of this professional element to it. The paraclete was, in essence, a friend. He was somebody who knew you and who would have been with you. You know, He would be someone, in essence, who would be able to stand up in court and say, I was with him in the day of the crime, and he was miles away. And that would be, in a sense, enough. You have two witnesses that would say that, You see how you would be helped, how you'd be comforted. See, the paraclete was an advocate who was a witness. He didn't have to have too much knowledge. He just had to have understanding of who you were, where you were, and, and, and be able to help you in this way. He just had to say the truth about you. And often it was a friend. And so this is who the Holy Spirit is. He comes alongside us, and as we saw already, not just beside, but within us, and He is a witness, and He will help. He reminds you, he reminds you of the truths of what God has done in Christ. He comforts you to understand that in Him you find salvation. And even though He grieves when you sin, never leads you into despair because there is hope in Christ. So comforter. He is the comforter. That's one of the main ways that he works. But how does he comfort you? Well, secondly, his second work is as a teacher. Isn't this what Jesus said? If you go to chapter 14, verse 26, he says, But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, see, comforter comes like this title. It's like the supreme title for his works. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you. All things. And the word teach is exactly that. It's an instructor. It's someone who will be guiding you with teaching. He teaches all things. If we continue hearing the, reading the text in verse 26, we, we, we see more details of how he teaches you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He's like a teacher that goes with you everywhere you, you go. He's not teaching you a lesson here at school. Then you go out into the world and and you need to remember by yourself. No, He will remind you of the things that He taught you. So He's like a, a teacher who goes along with you because, of course, He's in you. So He will do that. Um, and when we think of Him as a teacher, we can think in two ways. How He teaches us from the outside and how He teaches us in the inside. Why do I say from the outside? Because I think it's important for us to realize that the manual the Holy Spirit uses to teach us is the Bible. Young people, you you know what the Bible is called in Ephesians um, 6, verse 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And, And Apostle Paul makes clear, which is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit has a very intimate Connection with the Bible. Acts 28.25, at, at the very end of Acts, Paul is explaining, concluding why the Jews have, have rejected the gospel. And he says this, Well spoke the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. And he goes on to quote Isaiah. But you notice what Paul said, Well spoke the Holy Ghost by Isaiah. Isaiah was only a mouthpiece. The Holy Spirit was speaking through him. And then when Peter is speaking about the Bible, he declares in in 2 Peter 1, verse 20 through 21, No prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in older time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Is this how you pick up the Bible and you read Jeremiah and you read what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy, Leviticus? This is why when you get to one of those lists that maybe are hard to go through, you need to remember, wait, this was Moses who put these lines here. The Holy Spirit meant for this to be here. I need to plow through these passages. And as you're doing so, let your heart be warmed. These are, these are lists. Sometimes they're lists of people who were covenant people. And you can learn a lesson 
God has us engrafted into his very word as covenant people. He's mindful of who we are. He loves us. Sometimes the lists are of people who were sinning and who were not doing right. And and the registry is right there. It's it's also registered, as it were, in the heart of God. Who is who? Every part of God's word is God-breathed. It's the sword of the Spirit. And so... This is how the Spirit teaches you. It's by reading the Bible. I can't emphasize this enough that, that we saw this morning that if you want to come to Christ, one of the ways is go to the Bible because this is how you will have communion with Jesus. But now we learn also that if you want to be taught by the Spirit, you have to go to the Bible. And and of course, the two are harmonious because Jesus even said that the Holy Spirit will speak the things that the Son and the Father have given Him to speak. See how they work always together in harmony, never contrary to one another. So coming to the Word is coming to Christ and coming to the Spirit. Bowing to the Word. It is bowing to Christ and it, through the Spirit. And, and loving the Word is loving Christ and loving the Spirit. You're, you're sitting, as it were, saying, Holy Spirit, teach me the words of Christ that I may glorify the Father. It is always harmonious with the whole Trinity. But then inside as well. Inside, because the Holy Spirit, He doesn't just, again, teach us from the Word in, but He's inside opening my mind to understand the Scripture. He illuminates us. I want to read a portion in Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 18. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints. That's why when you open God's Word where He will minister to you, that you would ask, Lord, help me to understand what these words mean. Minister in my very heart. And the Holy Spirit works this way. So He is the comforter. He is the teacher. Number three, He is the one who convicts us. He convicts the whole world. And this is from chapter 16 of John, as we continue looking at those parallel passages in chapter 16, after John speaks what Jesus said about the Comforter coming, in verse 8, it says, And when He is come, when the Comforter is come, He will, con- he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This is the ministry of conviction. Our, our conscience can make us feel guilty. But it is the Holy Spirit that convicts me that because of that guilt, there will be consequences. Our our consciences can even be confused. People who are not informing their consciences, you find people who feel guilty because they're eating um, meat. Is that how the conscience really works. No, it's because in their minds they, they've been made to feel that, that it's a sin, that it's wrong to, to eat meat and, or a certain kind of meat. And so, so then they have a tender conscience about things they don't have to have, that God's Word does not condemn. So ultimately, the Lord of the conscience is the Holy Spirit, and He's the one who convicts of sin, of righteousness, and even of judgment. <laughs> Now, there's, there's a lot we can say of this very triad. And I, I will simply say this today, and I'll continue developing this a little more next time. But I just want to say how important it is for the church to live and keep in step with the Spirit. Because there's a world out there that's not reading the Bible And they're not being told, they're not learning, and their consciences are not being convicted by the things that God's Word does convict. 
But this is where the church in many ways is like the conscience of the world. It is the light of the world. And as the world sees the light, God can use this in the hearts that He chooses to cause them to repent and them to glorify God. And so as the church lives as it ought to live, it may be in a way that God reproves the world. Or as the church makes God's word available into the world, people will read the Bible, the Bible will be used of God to convict them of sins. Now this is exactly what happened with the Reformation. They they had discovered the printing press and they wanted to publish Bibles and Bibles were sent all throughout Europe. And people who had never really read the Bible began to read the Bible and and their hearts were pricked. They were convicted and, and also they knew where to turn to, Lord Jesus Christ. So this is one gracious work of the Spirit to convict and he convicts of sin. He convicts of the reality of righteousness, that God is holy, and the reality that judgment, there is judgment to come. Now, the last, the fourth um, work that we'll see today is that he is a guide. Also in chapter 16, in verse 13, we read, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. This is so precious. This is teaching us how he teaches like a guide. He's not like a teacher who just writes on the board and you take notes and you go home. He's someone who teaches you and then he takes you by the hand and says, let's go. Because he's in you, right? So he'll never, he'll never say goodbye to you. He gives you the lesson, as it were, and he goes home with you. And he holds you by the hand. That's the concept of, of guiding. He, and he guides you in what? Into all truth. Not just a few corners of theology, but all truth. And into future things. Unto Christ's glory, we find in verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Now let me end with this little illustration. There's a story told of a father. He shared a story of how his little six-year-old daughter would come to his office at the end of the day, a home that was kind of walking distance to an office that was a walking distance to the home. And every day his little six-year-old daughter would come and she would say, Papa, I came to escort you home. And in a particular day, she said, Daddy, let's play that I am blind, I will close my eyes and, and I'll just hold your hand and you, you just tell me what to do. So that the father would say, okay, well, there's a step here, step up. Or he would say, now step down. Or he would say, there's a corner, let's turn to the right or let's turn to the left. And, and they got all the way home and the little girl was all excited to tell her mom um, that little game that she played. And the mom asked, but weren't you, weren't you scared at any given moment. And then she said, Oh no, Mama. I had a tight hold on Papa's hand and I knew he would take me safely over the hard places. See, this is how the Holy Spirit teaches us. He's our comforter. He will be a witness. He comes alongside us. He helps that way. He teaches He takes you by the hand and He guides you. Now the great question is, do you even want to go where He takes you? See, when we we speak about the experience that we have, like, do I know that the Spirit is within me? Well, you know. You've you've heard the Bible enough to know where the, the Spirit will take you. He will take you down Righteousness Avenue. You could say He will take you down holiness lane. He will never take you down the road of sin. He will never take you down the dark alley of iniquity. Where are you going? Where do you even want to be led into? 
You see, grasping strong to the hands of the Holy Spirit is simply an emblem, as it were, of of trusting Christ to lead you so that your heart doesn't fret. The fact that He reminds you of God's sovereignty and that you need Him and that He'll never leave you, it gives your heart contentment along the way. Teaching you of of God's love and what Christ has done for you will will give you patience and make you grateful even as you go along the way. And in teaching you of of, of all the attributes of God and reminding you all those miracles, the, the, the very parables, boys and girls, that you learned throughout this week, the Holy Spirit will keep reminding you of those things. And what will it do? It will make you want to grow and make you want to be like Jesus. It will make you want to have that heart. It want to make you want to go to that banquet and not miss the invitations of Christ. When the Holy Spirit grieves within you and you feel that sadness because you sinned, you will learn to even learn to kiss the rod. You will learn to say, thank you, Lord, that your grieving has made me grieve. Make me grieve even more and give me words to go to mom or to dad or to my brother or siblings to ask forgiveness. Is that where you want the Spirit to lead you? Because that's where He leads His own. He leads you to the road of repentance. He leads you to the road of forgiveness. He leads you to the road of joy and peace and contentment in doing God's will. But there are those in this world who are saying, I want to build on the sand. I don't want the invitation of the king. I want the the thorns. Remember, that represented riches and, and all the temptations of the world. That's where I want to go. Well, may, may the Holy Spirit bring conviction because that is not being led by Him. And may you be by, like a little six-year-old girl who can even close your eyes but trust the Heavenly Father that He's given you His Holy Spirit to lead you even to heaven itself. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious And Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank Thee for the day of Pentecost. That what the disciples experienced, Lord, began in a very visible and manifest way. That the Holy Spirit is with us. That He is in us. And Lord, we pray that Thou would be with those who may receive this sermon with hearts that are confused and not understanding, not knowing if they are saved or not. Lord, we pray that Thy very Holy Spirit would would guide and conduct if those who are not saved, Lord, that Thou would give the quickening that is necessary, that they would willingly believe and repent and then be able to experience this work of the Spirit in their own hearts. Lord, thine own who who are truly saved, we pray, Lord, that in the times of sadness and sorrow that they would not be dejected, but even learn to appreciate that this guilt is even good, but that they would then also follow the Spirit to the cross itself, that they may be relieved and blessed and healed. We ask, Lord, that thou would be glorified as we Learn and rejoice in the works of the Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.